0: Chapter Eight of the Junior Classics, Volume Seven Stories of Courage and Heroism. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Denise Nordell. The Junior Classics, Volume Seven Stories of Courage and Heroism by William Patton. The Boy Viking, Olaf the Second of Norway by E. S. Brooks old Rain, the helmsman whose fierce moustaches and shaggy shoulder-mantle made him look like some grim old northern wolf held high in the air the great bison horn filled with foaming mead skol to the viking hail wassail rose his exultant shout from a hundred sturdy throats the cry re-echoed till the vaulted hall of the Swedeman's conquered castle rang again skol to the viking hail wassail and in the centre of that throng of mail-clad men and tossing spears standing firm and fearless upon the interlocked and uplifted shields of three stalwart fighting men a stout-limbed lad of scarce thirteen with flowing light-brown hair and flushed and eager face brandished his sword vigorously in acknowledgment of the jubilant shout that rang once again through the dark and smoke-stained hall hail to the sea-wolf's son scold to olaf the king then above the din and clash of shouting and of steel rose the voice of sigvat the saga man or song man of the young viking singing loud and sturdily olaf the king is on his cruise his blue steel staining rich booty gaining and all men trembling at the news up warwolf's brood our young fir's name or tops the forest trees in fame our stout young olaf knows no fear though fell the fray he's blithe and gay and warriors fall beneath his spear who can't defend the wealth they have must die or share with the rover brave a fierce and warlike song boys and girls to raise in honor of so young a lad but those were fierce and warlike days, when men were stirred by the recital of bold and daring deeds, those old, old days, eight hundred years ago, when Olaf, the boy-viking, the pirate chief of a hundred mail-clad men, stood upon the uplifted shields of his exultant fighting-men in the grim and smoke-stained hall of the grey castle of captured Sigton, oldest of Swedish cities. "'Take your atlas, and, turning to the map of Sweden, place your finger on the city of Stockholm. Do you notice that it lies at the easterly end of a large lake?' that is the malar beautiful with winding channels pine-covered islands and rocky shores it is peaceful and quiet now and palace and villa and quaint northern farmhouse stand unmolested on its picturesque borders but channels and islands and rocky shores have echoed and re-echoed with the war shouts of many a fierce sea rover since those far-off days when olaf the boy viking and his norwegian ships of war ploughed through the narrow sea strait and ravaged the fair shores of the malar with fire and sword Stockholm, the Venice of the North, as it is called, was not then in existence, and little now remains of old Sigton save ruined walls. But travellers may still see the three tall towers of the ancient town, and in the great stone heap along which young Olaf drew his ships of war, and over which his pirate crew swarmed into Sigtun town, and planted the victorious banner of the golden serpent upon the conquered walls. For this fair young Olaf came of hardy Norse stock. His father, Harold Gransky, or Grey Mantle, one of the tributary kings of norway had fallen a victim to the tortures of the haughty swedish queen and now his son a boy of scarce thirteen but a warrior already by training and from desire came to avenge his father's death his mother the queen asta equipped a large dragon-ship or war-vessel for her adventurous son and with the lad as helmsman and guardian was sent old rain whom men called the far-travelled because he had sailed westward as far as england and southward to norvison by which name men knew the straits of gibraltar boys toughened quickly in those stirring days and this lad who because he was commander of a dragon-ship was called olaf the king though he had no land to rule was of viking blood and quickly learned the trade of war already among the rocks and sands of soderman upon the swedish coast he had won his first battle over a superior force of danish war-vessels other ships of war joined him the name of olaf the brave was given him by right of daring deeds and Skoll to the viking rang from the sturdy throats of his followers as the little sea-king of thirteen was lifted in triumph upon the battle-dented shields but a swift runner bursts into the gray hall of sigtun to your ships o king to your ships he cries olaf the swedish king men say is planting a forest of spears along the sea strait, and except ye push out now ye may not get out at all the nimble young chief sprang from the upraised shields to your ships vikings all he shouted show your teeth war-wolves up with the serpent banner and death to olaf the swede straight across the lake to the sea strait near where stockholm now stands the vikings sailed young olaf's dragon-ship taking the lead but all too late for across the narrow strait the swedish king had stretched great chains and had filled up the channel with stocks and stones olaf and his norsemen were fairly trapped the swedish spears waved in wild and joyful triumph and king olaf the swede said with grim satisfaction to his lords see jarls and lendermen the fat boy is caged at last for he never spoke of his stout young norwegian namesake and rival save as olaf jock olaf the thick or fat the boy-viking stood by his dragon-headed prow and shook his clenched fist at the obstructed sea strait and the Swedish spears. "'Shall we then land, rain, and fight our way through?' he asked. "'Fight our way through?' said old Rain, who had been in many another tight place in his years of sea-roving, but none so close as this. "'Why, king, they be a hundred to one.' "'And if they be, what then?' said impetuous Olaf. "'Better fall as a viking breaking Swedish spears than die a straw-death.' So contemptuously did those fierce old sea-kings regard a peaceful life, that they said of one who died quietly on his bed at home, his was but a straw death, as Olaf of Sweden's bonderman. May we not cut through these chains? As soon think of cutting the solid earth, king, said the helmsman. So, and why not then? Young Olaf exclaimed, struck with a brilliant idea. Ho, Sigvat! he said, turning to his saga man. What was that lowland under the cliff where thou didst say the pagan Upsal king was hanged in his own golden chains by his Finnish queen? "'Tis called the Fen of Anyafit, O King,' replied the Saga-man, pointing toward where it lay. "'Why then, my reign? asked the boy, "'may we not cut our way out through that lowland fen, to the open sea and liberty?' "'Tis Odin's own device,' cried the delighted helmsman, catching at his young chief's great plan. "'Ho, war-wolves all, bite ye your way through the Swedish fens, "'up with the serpent banner, and farewell to Olaf the Swede!' "'It seemed a narrow chance, but it was the only one. Fortune favoured the boy-viking.' Heavy rains had flooded the lands that sloped down to the Mylar Lake. In the dead of night the Swedish captives and stout Norse oarsmen were set to work, and before daybreak an open cut had been made in the lowlands beneath Anyafit, or the Rock of King Anya, where by the town of Sodertalje the Vikings' canal is still shown to travellers. The waters of the lake came rushing through the cut, and an open sea-strait awaited young Olaf's fleet." Unship the rudder, hoist the sail aloft, commanded Bane, the helmsman. Sound war-horns all, scold to the Vikings, scold to the wise young Olaf. A strong breeze blew astern. The Norse rowers steered the rudderless ships with their long oars, and with a mighty rush through the new canal and over all the shallows out into the great Nordstrom, or North Stream, as the Baltic Sea was called, the fleet passed in safety while the loud war-horns blew the notes of triumph so the boy viking escaped from the trap of his swedish foes and standing by the grim gaping dragon's head that crested the prow of his warship he bade the helmsman steer for gotland isle while sigvat the saga man sang with the ring of triumph down the fiord sweep wind and rain our sails and tackles sway and strain wet to the skin we're sound within Our sea-steed through the foam goes prancing, while shields and spears and helms are glancing. From fjord to sea our ships ride free, and down the wind with swelling sail we scud before the gathering gale. What a breezy, rollicking old saga it is! Can't you almost catch the spray and sea-swell in its dashing measures, boys? Now turn to your atlases again and look for the large island of Gotland off the southeastern coast of Sweden in the midst of the Baltic Sea. In the time of Olaf it was a thickly-peopled and wealthy district, and the principal town, Wisby, at the northern end, was one of the busiest places in all Europe. To this attractive island the boy-viking sailed with all his ships, looking for rich booty, but the gotlanders met him with fair words and offered him so great a scat or tribute that he agreed not to molest them and rested at the island, an unwelcome guest, through all the long winter. Early in the spring he sailed eastward to the Gulf of Riga and spread fear and terror along the coast of finland and the old saga tells how the finlanders conjured up in the night by their witchcraft a dreadful storm and bad weather but the king ordered all the anchors to be weighed and sail hoisted and beat off all night to the outside of the island so the king's luck prevailed more than the finlanders witchcraft then away through the wild sea to denmark sailed the young pirate king and here he met a brother viking one thorkel the tall the two chiefs struck up a sort of partnership and coasting southward along the western shores of Denmark, they won a sea-fight in the Rinkiobing fjord among the sand-hills of Jutland. And so business continued brisk with this curiously matched pirate firm, a giant and a boy, until under the cliffs of Kinlima in Friesland, hasty word came to the boy Viking that the English king Ethelred the Unready, was calling for the help of all sturdy fighters to win back his heritage and crown from young King Canute, or Canute the Dane, whose father had seized the throne of England quick to respond to an appeal that promised plenty of hard knocks and the possibility of unlimited booty olaf the ever ready hoisted his blue and crimson sails and steered his warships over the sea to help king ethelred the never ready up the thames and straight for london town he rode Hail to the serpent banner! Hail to Olaf the brave! said King Ethelred as the war-horns sounded a welcome, and on the low shores of the Isle of Dogs, just below the old city, the keels of the Norse warships grounded swiftly, and the boy Viking and his followers leaped ashore. Thou dost come in right good time with thy trusty dragon-ships, young king, said King Ethelred. for the Danish robbers are full well entrenched in London town, and in my father Edgar's castle." And then he told Olaf how, in the great trading-place which is called Southwark, the Danes had raised a great work and dug large ditches, and within had builded a bulwark of stone, timber, and turf, where they had stationed a large army. And we would fain have taken this bulwark, added the king, and did in sooth bear down upon it with a great assault, but indeed we could make naught of it. And why so? asked the young Viking because said king ethelred upon the bridge betwixt the castle and Southwark, have the ravaging danes raised towers and parapets breast high and thence did they cast down stones and weapons upon us so that we could not prevail and now see king what dost thou counsel how may we avenge ourselves of our enemies and win the town impetuous as ever and impatient of obstacles the young Vikings said how why pull thou down this bridge king and then may ye have free riverway to thy castle break down great london bridge young hero cried the amazed king how may that be have we a duke samson among us to do so great a feat lay me thy ships alongside mine king close to this barricaded bridge said the valorous boy and i will vow to break it down or ye may call me caitiff and coward be it so said ethelred the english king and all the war chiefs echoed be it so so olaf and his trusty rein made ready the war forces for the destruction of the bridge Old London Bridge was not what we should now call an imposing structure, but our ancestors of nine centuries back esteemed it quite a bridge. The chronicler says that it was so broad that two wagons could pass each other upon it, and under the bridge were piles driven into the bottom of the river. So young Olaf and old Rain put their heads together and decided to wreck the bridge by a bold Viking stroke. And this is how it is told in the Heimskringla, or Saga of King Olaf the Saint. King Olaf ordered great platforms of floating wood to be tied together with hazel bands, and for this he took down old houses. And with these as a roof he covered over his ships so widely that it reached over the ship's sides. Under this screen he set pillars so high and stout that there both was room for swinging their swords, and the roofs were strong enough to withstand the stones cast down upon them. "'Now, out oars and pull for the bridge,' young Olaf commanded, and the roofed-over warships were rowed close up to London Bridge.' and as they came near the bridge the chronicle says there were cast upon them by the danes upon the bridge so many stones and missile weapons such as arrows and spears that neither helmet nor shield could hold out against it and the ships themselves were so greatly damaged that many retreated out of it but the boy viking and his norsemen were there for a purpose and were not to be driven back by stones or spears or arrows straight ahead they rode quite up under the bridge Out cables all, and lay them around the piles, the young sea-king shouted, and the half-naked rowers, unshipping their oars, reached out under the roofs and passed the stout cables twice around the wooden supports of the bridge. The loose end was made fast at the stern of each vessel, and then, turning and heading downstream, King Olaf's twenty stout warships waited his word. Out oars, he cried. Pull, warbirds! Pull all, as if ye were for Norway!' forward and backward swayed the stout norse rowers tighter and tighter pulled the cables fast down upon the straining warships rained the danish spears and stones but the wooden piles under the great bridge were loosened by the steady tug of the cables and soon with a sudden spurt the norse warships darted down the river while the slackened cables towed astern the captured piles of london bridge A great shout went up from the besiegers, and now, says the Chronicle, as the armed troops stood thick upon the bridge, and there were likewise many heaps of stones and other weapons upon it, the bridge gave way, and a great part of the men upon it fell into the river, and all the others fled, some into the castle, some into Southwark. And before King Ethelred the Unready could pull his ships to the attack, young Olaf's fighting men had sprung ashore, and storming the Southwark earthworks carried all before them, and the battle of London Bridge was won and the young olaf saga man sang triumphantly london bridge is broken down gold is won and bright renown shields resounding war-horns sounding Hildar shouting in the din arrows singing mail-coats ringing odin makes our olaf win and perhaps who knows this wrecking of london bridge so many hundred years ago by olaf the boy viking of fifteen may have been the origin of the old song game dear to so many generations of children london bridge is falling down falling down falling down london bridge is falling down my fair lady so king ethelred won back his kingdom and the boy viking was honoured above all others to him was given the chief command in perilous expeditions against the danes and the whole defence of all the coast of england North and south along the coast he sailed with all his warships, and the Danes and Englishmen long remembered the dashing but dubious ways of this young sea-rover who swept the English coast and claimed his dues from friend and foe alike. For those were days of insecurity for merchant and trader and farmer, and no man's wealth or life was safe except as he paid ready tribute to the fierce Norse allies of King Ethelred. But soon after this King Ethelred died, and young Olaf, thirsting for new adventures, sailed away to the south and fought his way all along the French coast as far as the mouth of the River Garonne. Many castles he captured, many rival Vikings subdued, much spoil he gathered, until at last his dragon-ships laid moored under the walls of old Bordeaux, waiting for fair winds to take him around to the Straits of Gibraltar, and so on to the land of Jerusalem. One day, in the booty-filled forehold of his dragon ship, the young sea-king lay asleep, and suddenly, says the old record, he dreamed a wondrous dream. Olaf, great stem of kings, attend, he heard a deep voice call, and looking up, the dreamer seemed to see before him a great and important man, but of a terrible appearance withal if that thou art olaf the brave as men do call thee said the vision turn thyself to nobler deeds than vikings ravaging and this wandering cruise turn back turn back from thy purposeless journey to the land of jerusalem where neither honour nor fame awaits thee son of king harald return thee to thy heritage for thou shalt be king over all norway then the vision vanished and the young rover awoke to find himself alone save for the sleeping footboy across the cabin doorway so he quickly summoned old rain the helmsman and told him his dream twas for thy awakening king said his stout old follower twas the great olaf thine uncle olaf tryggvason the king that didst call thee win norway king for the portent is that thou and thine shall rule thy fatherland and the worship's prows were all turned northward again as the boy viking following the promise of his dream steered homeward for norway and a throne now in norway earl eric was dead for thirteen years he had usurped the throne that should have been filled by one of the great King Olaf's line, and at his death his handsome young son Earl Hakon the Fair, ruled in his father's stead. And when young King Olaf heard this news, he shouted for joy and cried to Rain, Now home in haste, for Norway shall be either Hakon's heritage or mine. "'Tis a fair match of youth against youth,' said the trusty helmsman, "'and if but fair luck go with thee, Norway shall be thine.' So from a place called Furevald, somewhere between the mouths of humber and the tees on the english coast king olaf with but two stout warships and two hundred and twenty well-armed and chosen persons shook out his purple sails to the north sea blasts and steered straight for norway as if in league against this bold young viking the storm-winds came rushing down from the mountains of norway and the cold belt of the arctic circle and caught the two warships tossing in a raging sea the storm burst upon them with terrific force and the danger of shipwreck was great but says the old record as they had a chosen company and the king's luck with them all went on well thou able chief sings the faithful saga man with thy fearless crew thou meetest with skill and courage true the wild sea's wrath on thy ocean's path though waves mast high were breaking round thou findest the middle of norway's ground with helm in hand on salo's strand now sail was norse for lucky and salo's island means the lucky island "'I'll be a lucky king for landing thus upon the lucky isles," said rash young Olaf, with the only attempt at a joke we find recorded of him, as, with a mighty leap, he sprang ashore where the sliding keel of his warship ploughed the shore of Sala's Isle. "'True, tis a good omen, king,' said old Rain the helmsman, following close behind." But the soil of the lucky isle was largely clay, moist and slippery, and as the eager young viking climbed the bank his right foot slipped, and he would have fallen had not he struck his left foot firmly in the clay, and thus saved himself. But to slip at all was a bad sign in those old, half-pagan and superstitious times, and he said ruefully, "'An omen, an omen rain, the king falls!' "'Nay, tis the king's luck,' says ready and wise old Rain. "'Thou didst not fall, king, see, thou didst but set fast foot in this thy native soil of Norway.' Thou art a rare diviner, Rain, laughed the young king, much relieved. And then he added solemnly, It may be so if God doth will it so. And now news comes that Earl Hakon, with a single warship, is steering north from Fjord, and Olaf, pressing on, lays his two ships on either side of a narrow strait or channel in Sandunga Sound. Here he stripped his ships of all their war-gear, and stretched a great cable deep in the water across the narrow strait. Then he wound the cable-ends around the capstans ordered all his fighting men out of sight and waited for his rival. Soon Hakon's warship, crowded with rowers and fighting men, entered the strait. Seeing, as he supposed, but two harmless merchant vessels lying on either side of the channel, the young earl bade his rowers pull between the two. Suddenly there is a stir on the quiet merchant vessels. The capstan bars are manned, the sunken cable is drawn taut. Up goes the stern of Hakon's entrapped warship— Down plunges her prow into the waves, and the water pours into the doomed boat. A loud shout is heard, the quiet merchant vessels swarm with mail-clad men, and the air is filled with a shower of stones and spears and arrows. The surprise is complete. Tighter draws the cable, overtopples Earl Hakon's vessel, and he and all his men are among the billows struggling for life. So, says the record, King Olaf took Earl Hakon and all his men whom they could get hold of out of the water and made them prisoners, but some were killed and some were drowned into the forehold of the king's ship the captive earl was led a prisoner and there the young rivals for norway's crown faced each other the two lads were of nearly the same age between sixteen and seventeen and young earl hakon was considered the handsomest youth in all norway His helmet was gone, his sword was lost, his ring-steel suit was sadly disarrayed, and his long hair, fine as silk, was bound about his head with a golden ornament. Fully expecting the fate of all captives in those cruel days, instant death, the young earl nevertheless faced his boy-conqueror proudly, resolved to meet his fate like a man. "'They speak truth who say of the house of Eric that ye be handsome men,' said the king, studying his prisoner's face. "'But now, earl, even though thou be fair to look upon, thy luck hath failed thee at last.' "'Fortune changes,' said the young earl. "'We both be boys, and thou, king, art perchance the shrewder youth. "'Yet had we looked for such a trick as thou hast played upon us. "'We had not thus been tripped upon thy sunken cables. "'Better luck next time.' "'Next time,' echoed the king. "'Dost thou not know, earl, that as thou standest here a prisoner, "'there may be no next time for thee?' "'The young captive understood full well the meaning of the words. "'Yes, king,' he said, "'it must be only as thou mayest determine. "'Man can die but once. "'Speak on, I am ready.' "'But Olaf said— what wilt thou give me, Earl, if at this time I do let thee go, whole and unhurt? Tis not what I may give, but what thou mayst take, King,' the Earl made answer. "'I am thy prisoner. What wilt thou take to free me?' "'Nothing,' said the generous young Viking, advancing nearer to his handsome rival. "'As thou didst say, we both be boys, and life is all before us. "'Earl, I give thee thy life. Do thou but take oath before me to leave this my realm of Norway, to give up thy kingdom, and never to do battle against me hereafter.' the conquered earl bent his fair young head. "'Thou art a generous chief, King Olaf,' he said. "'I take my life as thou dost give it, and all shall be as thou wilt.' So Earl Hakon took the oath, and King Olaf, righted his rival's capsized warship, refitted it from his own stores of booty, and thus the two lads parted, the young earl sailing off to his uncle, King Canute, in England, and the boy viking hastening eastward toward Vigan, where lived his mother, the Queen Asta, whom he had not seen for full five years.' It is harvest-time in the year 1014. Without and within the long low house of Sigurd Sir at Vigan all is excitement, for word has come that Olaf the Sea-King has returned to his native land, and is even now on his way to this his mother's house. Gay stuffs decorate the dull walls of the great room, clean straw covers the earth floor, and upon the long four-cornered tables is spread a mighty feast of mead and ale and coarse but hearty food, such as the old Norse heroes drew their strength and muscle from at the doorway stands the queen asta with her maids while before the entrance with thirty well-clothed men waits young olaf's stepfather wise sigurd seer gorgeous in a jeweled suit a scarlet cloak and a glittering golden helmet the watchers on the house-steps hear a distant shout now another and nearer one and soon down the highway they catch the gleam of steel and the waving of many banners and now they can distinguish the stalwart forms of olaf's chosen hundred men their shining coats of ring-mail their foreign helmets and their cross lidded shields flashing in the sun in the very front rides old rain the helmsman bearing the great white banner blazoned with the golden serpent and behind him cased in golden armor his long brown hair flowing over his sturdy shoulders rides the boy viking olaf of norway It was a brave homecoming, and as the stout young hero, leaping from his horse, knelt to receive his mother's welcoming kiss, the people shouted for joy, the banners waved, the war-horns played their loudest, and thus, after five years of wandering, the boy comes back in triumph to the home he left when but a wild and adventurous little fellow of twelve. The hero of nine great sea-fights and of many smaller ones before he was seventeen, young Olaf Haraldsson was a remarkable boy, even in the days when all boys aimed to be battle-tried heroes toughened in frame and fibre by his five years of sea-roving he had become strong and self-reliant a man in action though but a boy in years i am come he said to his mother and his stepfather to take the heritage of my forefathers but not from danish nor from swedish kings will i supplicate that which is mine by right i intend rather to seek my patrimony with battle-axe and sword and i will so lay hand to the work that one of two things shall happen either i shall bring all this kingdom of norway under my rule or i shall fall here upon my inheritance in the land of my fathers these were bold words for a boy of seventeen but they were not idle boastings before a year had passed young olaf's pluck and courage had won the day and in harvest time in the year ten fifteen being then but little more than eighteen years old he was crowned king of norway in the drontheim or throne home of nidaros the royal city now called on your atlas the city of drontheim for fifteen years king olaf the second ruled his realm of norway the old record says that he was a good and very gentle man but history shows his goodness and gentleness to have been of a rough and savage kind The wild and stern experiences of his Viking days lived again even in his attempts to reform and benefit his land. When he who had himself been a pirate tried to put down piracy, and he who had been a wild young robber sought to force all Norway to become Christian, he did these things in so fierce and cruel a way that at last his subjects rebelled, and King Canute came over with a great army to wrest the throne from him. On the bloody field of Stiklestad, July ten 1030, the stern king fell, says Sigvat, his saga-man, beneath the blows by his own thoughtless people given. So King Canute conquered Norway, but after his death Olaf's son, Magnus the Good, regained his father's throne. The people, sorrowful at their rebellion against King Olaf, forgot his stern and cruel ways, and magnified all his good deeds so mightily that he was at last declared a saint and the Shrine of St. Olaf is still one of the glories of the old cathedral in Drontheim. And after King Magnus died, his descendants ruled Norway for nearly four hundred years, and thus was brought to pass the promise of the dream that, in the forehold of the great dragon-ship under the walls of old Bordeaux, came so many years before to that daring and sturdy young Olaf of Norway, the boy-viking. End of The Boy-Viking, Olaf the Second of Norway by E. S. Brooks Recording by Denise Nordell, Modesto, California.